It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, January 19th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the legislature convenes to pass what the governor calls the second largest economic development project in state history. Then doctors are sounding the alarm about health care in Mississippi. We take a look at the 2023 State Health Card Report. Plus, a film screening this Sunday in Jackson tells the story of Fannie Lou Hamer in her own words. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi lawmakers convened at the state capitol yesterday for a special session special session called by Governor Tate Reeves. They were tasked with passing legislation that would allow for the state's second largest economic development project ever. After several hours of deliberation between both chambers, the bill was sent to the governor before the end of the day. It gained bipartisan support and will appropriate nearly $350 million to bring three major electric vehicle battery manufacturers to the state. The companies are Accelera, Daimler, Truck, and Picard. Reeves says those companies will be investing $1.9 billion in the new plant. It means 2,000 new jobs will be created with an average annual salary of approximately $66,000 per year. And it means that Mississippi continues to have momentum and this remains Mississippi's time. This investment will result in the joint venture locating advanced battery cell production operations in Marshall County. Additionally, they aim to accelerate and localize battery cell production and the battery supply chain in the United States. The company will manufacture battery cells for electric commercial vehicles and industrial applications, creating 2,000 quality manufacturing jobs in the process. The fact is that this kind of economic investment can change the entire face of a community. For Marshall County and the surrounding region, it will help do just that. But although the project is located within northern Mississippi, Reeves did add this is a win-win for the entire state. These dollars will not just stay in Marshall County. This is the kind of deal that will have a reverberating impact across our entire state. On top of that, 
this investment further cements Mississippi as a national leader in the automotive industry. We take great pride that products made in Mississippi are helping to drive this nation forward, and this deal builds on that legacy. I also want to point out that I don't believe it's lost on anybody that we've been here before. In 2022, members of the legislature came together and supported the $2.5 billion aluminum dynamics investment in Lowndes County. Now we've come together to support a deal that invests in Marshall County. We are lifting up our state job by job, dollar by dollar. We're going to keep our nose to the grindstone and we're going to keep fighting for every job possible. We have an absolutely fantastic team across this state and we're ready to compete with the best and we're ready to beat the best and continue to win. Long story short, I don't think this is going to be the last announcement I make of a major economic development project in the great state of Mississippi. The bills for the project gained bipartisan support in both chambers. The only votes against the measure were by Republicans. House Republican Dan Eubanks of Walls calls the project corporate welfare. Although Democrats supported the bill, House Minority Leader Robert Johnson of Natchez says it's a problem that many of these large economic projects are being located in majority white parts of Mississippi. But you don't ever look to take care of people all over the state. The governor is the person who said that I'm a governor for all of Mississippi. But we continue every year to watch jobs created in everywhere in the state except west of I-55, up and down the river, where you have ports that that have been refurbished and ready to go. You have rail lines going east and west. You have a highway and a river. We're ready to be in the business of creating jobs. But what happens? You ignore all those areas where our, where, our, where our constituents live, and so we end up losing populations because people are leaving to go to places where they can find a, a, a better opportunity. And all we're saying is we could, we could call a special session out of session to save hospitals. The, the, the governor knew full aware that $100 million that we appropriated could not be used by hospitals, and he would not call a special session to make sure we save those hospitals and provide coverage for over 250 Mississippi people. And so fast track to give a a corporation a half a million dollars, but more than 9,000 jobs could be created by accepting a billion dollars to save hospitals and improve health care in this state. So all we're saying is let's, let's keep creating jobs in places like Marshall County, the Golden Triangle, the eastern part of the state. But it's high time and it's time to concentrate. And as a Republican friend said to me, be proactive about doing what you can do in other areas of the state like southwest Mississippi and the Delta. Lawmakers say the companies hope to be up and running by 2027. Coming up, doctors are sounding the alarm about health care in Mississippi. We take a look at the 2023 state health card report. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Family owned. You know, I respect my dad a lot. I know it wasn't easy when he passed the baton to me. But in the end, he realized it was the best thing for the business to sometimes look at things from different color lenses. Family Owned, a legacy leadership podcast, exploring family businesses who make up the backbone of the American economy. 
Listen now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or go to mpbonline.org. We try to make it easy for you to listen to MPB Think Radio with all the useful information you hear on our local programs, including car repair, your health, personal finance, technology, and more. You can listen on the radio in your car or at home, using your smart speaker or smartphone, or listening online. And coming soon, an exciting new way to access our local programs. MPB Think Radio, helping you lead a better life. I'm Peter O'Dowd. Artificial turf promises a beautiful green lawn without the maintenance or the water. But the turf won't last forever. A lot of experts are concerned because it's kind of a toxic soup of chemicals in the artificial turf. What to do with mountains of discarded turf next time on Here and Now. Today at noon on MPB Think Radio. Thanks to our sustaining members who provide ongoing monthly financial support. You can become a sustainer too. Go to mpbonline.org and click Donate Now at the top of the page. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. The Mississippi Medical Association has released its 2023 state health report card. It reveals categories that include opioid-related deaths, which are on the rise in the state. HIV and tuberculosis are trending downward below national averages in the state. And Mississippi's infant and maternal mortality rates are the highest in the nation. Health officials are using this information to push the legislature for solutions to Mississippi's many health issues. Dr. John Mitchell is president of the State Medical Association. He tells our Mike McEwen the mixed results in the report are a sign of progress. I think that the one thing that we can feel good about is that we are making some progress. It's not going to be quick. It's not going to be easy. And, and changing things in a climate of health care takes time. But the processes are beginning and the results are beginning to be seen. We're no longer 50th in several categories, as you heard today. That stands out in the sense it may not mean a lot to some individuals that we, in obesity we went to 50th to 48. But that's huge when you have to overtake a population across the country that is also working on these same parameters. And so any movement to a positive nature I think is a positive in the sense that we can affect the health care of Mississippi. So we're standing here in the state capitol building. What are some things that could be done in this building to achieve some of those goals? Well, as we talked about in, in, in the, the process, three major things. One was, you know, and I do think the climate is right. We've been uh, informed by many legislatures that we're going to have an open discussion this year, whether it's expansion of health care by Medicaid expansion or other means. I don't know what the outlook is going to be or what the outcome will be don't know if they know yet, but the openness to the fact that they will discuss it openly and look at it and consider it is a big plus. So anything that improves the access to working Mississippians that have had struggles in access to care through the, the uh, insurance or payment model. And as I told someone earlier, 
Access to care is very much multifactorial. Improving the fact that you have insurance does not automatically make you have access to care. It's still mobility issues and access to uh, to physicians and providers across the state. We still have to work on a lot of other intangibles, but at the same time, having at least the door open through an advancement in a, in a payment model is a huge step. The others in presumptive eligibility for uh, early pregnancy for females that uh, can get it presumptive Medicaid eligibility and get into the system in the very early days without delay because if you have to go through the, the rigors of the application process, sometimes it took until mid-second trimester. And by that time, there were already issues that had been occurring or could have been prevented. So that's a major thing. And then, you know, prior authorization reform has got to be a huge part of our moving forward in the sense that the obstacles of getting care again, even though you have access, if, you don't, if you're not able to get the care, is a major component. So we need to look at ways to streamline prior authorization. State Health Officer Dr. Dan Edney shared the report with lawmakers, urging them to take action on the state's most pressing health issues. One of the top priorities, he says, is making sure every Mississippian has access to health insurance coverage. Dr. Edney says that would not only help patients get the care they need, but allow hospitals to be paid for the care they provide. The goal is access to care for everybody. How we get there is up to our elected leadership. Our job as health department is to help with the options available and put the choices in front of our leadership and then be the resource you know, uh, that's trusted because we have no other agenda except the health of Mississippians. And for me, it's not a political issue. It's not an economic issue. It's a public health issue that Mississippians have access to primary care. How we do it, we can work together to get there, uh, but the answers are there. Mississippi also leads the nation for firearm-related deaths. On the upside, the state leads the country for childhood vaccination rates. Coming up, a documentary screening this weekend tells the life story of Fannie Lou Hamer in her own words. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. MPB Think Radio. Whatever your taste, news, music, storytelling, or how-to shows. Whatever your city, Natchez, Jackson, Tupelo, Cleveland. However you want. Radio, smart speaker, smartphone app. MPB Think Radio. I'm Peter O'Dowd. Artificial turf promises a beautiful green lawn without the maintenance or the water. But the turf won't last forever. A lot of experts are concerned because it's kind of a toxic soup of chemicals in the artificial turf. What to do with mountains of discarded turf next time on Here and Now. Today at noon on MPB Think Radio. Family owned. You know, I respect my dad a lot. I know it wasn't easy when he passed the baton to me. But in the end, he realized it was the best thing for the business to sometimes look at things from different color lenses. Family Owned, a legacy leadership podcast, exploring family businesses who make up the backbone of the American economy. 
Listen now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or go to mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. The two Mississippi museums in Jackson is hosting a film screening this Sunday for the documentary Fannie Lou Hamer's America. The film tells the life story of Hamer from her perspective using her own words. Monica Lan is the great niece of Fannie Lou Hamer and an executive producer of the documentary. She tells our Kobe Vance about what it meant to make this film about one of the most influential black women in modern history. She was about 42 years old, you know, when she entered um, the civil rights or the political arena. So she had a life prior to that. And that's what I wanted to reflect in the film, working with the wonderful crew that um, I was able to, privileged to work with. We talked about doing um, a film where she would speak herself, where she would tell her own story, because there was so, you know, her, besides her speeches, there was just so much audio footage out there that we wanted people to hear her voice and hear her tell her story. So that's how it started out. And that was her, you know, talking about why she became involved in the fight for equal rights and so forth. I mean, the footage on that is just tremendous. We couldn't even use it all. Now, one of the things that really gripped me about watching this documentary was one of the parts where she starts to share her life, uh, her early life as a sharecropper. She was at six years old. She was tasked with picking 30 pounds of cotton in a week, then it was 60. And by the time she was a teenager, she's picking 200 pounds of cotton a week. Seeing the progression from her origins and how that helped her understand like the idea of racial inequity and then where she ended up. What were your thoughts being able to uncover that through her own words? Well, as I said, um, Aunt Fannie Lou was and probably is the most vocal female of the civil rights era. You know, she didn't hold back in telling where she came from. And that's, you know, speaks to what I said earlier. She was in her 40s when she got involved, actively involved in the movement. And that kind of defined who she was in the sense that she knew what black people were going through in the South. And she was just tired of it. She was just absolutely tired of it. And she knew something could be done and she had to do it. And so she spent her life doing it. But her story um, actually is not so unusual. Picking cotton from childhood, I mean, my mother did that. My mother left the South when she was 17 because she didn't want that to be her life. That was the life of all black Southerners. That was actually the life of a lot of white Southerners. You know, picking cotton was just something that was done. But her Aunt Fannie Lou's experience in that, it really helped her to be the charismatic and powerful speaker that she was because she included those life experiences that so many people could relate to. And the fact that she was a Mississippi sharecropper, considered uneducated, just her voice, her message resonated so clearly with uh, so many people. And then there were critics who found fault with the way she spoke and things like that, even the way she looked. But her message was clear. 
And um, she's still being applauded and celebrated today because she was just truthful. You know, she was just absolutely truthful in the fight that she was, you know, that she was fighting. Why was it important for you to be able to have it in her words and in her story? And what do you think that means for listeners or viewers? It was important to me on a couple of levels um, because I'd always wanted to do film. I had done other historical projects, and I just wanted her story told because, one, she's a family member. And I'd heard the stories uh, about her growing up my entire life. I remember her coming to Mississippi to visit her with uh, my parents. This is uh, my mom's um, home state. And so coming to visit her parents, uh, my grandparents, uh, Uncle Pap and Aunt Fanny Lou, I remember her. I knew the stories, and I thought, well, you know, other people need to see this personal side. We didn't really get to do that in the main documentary, but we had a special section called Beyond the Lens where we did that, and that's also where um, our website, Fannie Lou Hamans America, um, comes in because we tell a lot of things about her life that people just don't know that also helped to shape the person that she was. Like on the website, um, people get to, you know, read that she was married before. You know, um, a lot of people don't know that. Um, Uncle Pat was her second husband. She was his second wife. Um, a lot of people know that she was unable to have children um, because she was sterilized during a routine surgery, surgical procedure, but they don't know that she adopted four girls, and all four of these girls were relatives of hers, where their they couldn't take care of them. And so being able to show people this side of her, when people think of Fannie Lou Hamer, they think of primarily her speech at the Atlantic City Democratic National Convention in August of 1964, you know, they see her sitting there, you know, giving the, is this America, the land of the free, the home of the great? That's the extent of how they see her. But she was a woman. She was a wife. She was a mother. You know, all of the challenges that come with those roles. Now, this documentary will be screened on Sunday at the two Mississippi museums. What are you hoping that audiences who attend can get out of it? And then what would you like to discuss with them during the discussion part of that as y'all are able to sit down and answer questions? What I want people to see, uh, particularly in Mississippi, her home state, um, Aunt Fannie Lou loved Mississippi. She loved the Mississippi Delta. It was her home. And even though she was tremendously mistreated. Um, Black people were mistreated to a very great extent. She didn't want to leave it. People often asked her, well, if you don't like it so much, why why didn't you leave? Why don't you leave? And she was, this is my home. Her thing was she wanted to stay and make it better herself, for her children, and for others. And so I think it's important for Mississippians to not forget who she is, what she accomplished, and what sacrifices she made to do so. There are a lot of young people, um, and we encountered this with um, our first, we have a Sunflower uh, County Film Academy, which is part of our K-12 through Find Your Voice curriculum for the film. 
Monica Land is the niece, or the great niece, of Fannie Lou Hamer and is an executive producer of the film Fannie Lou Hamer's America. Monica, thank you so much for your time. Okay, thank you. I appreciate it. More information about the documentary can be found online at FannieLouHamersAmerica.com. A screening of the film is being hosted at the two Mississippi museums in Jackson Sunday at 2 p.m. The full film can be seen at mpbonline.org, our website. Type in the name of the film in the search bar. It is Fannie Lou Hamers America. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.